Once again, tuning in, listening to Thinking Biblically About Things That Matter. Uh, my name is Steve Ron. I'm the pastor here at, lead pastor here at First Baptist Church in Warsaw. And we are continuing on with our series on shame. Um, as we've said over the last couple of lessons, shame is something that is incredibly common. Um, when we're talking about shame, we're going to use this uh, just really good, concise description from a Christian counselor that I really respect. His name is Ed Welch. And he says that shame is the deep sense that you are unacceptable because of something you did, something done to you, something associated with you. You feel exposed and humiliated. So it's something you did, something done to you, or something associated with you, um, and it's causing you to feel a deep sense of the, the, that you are unacceptable. You, you feel exposed, you feel humiliated. So the first lesson we looked at appropriate shame, which is the shame that we should feel because of our sinfulness. And then uh, in the second lesson, we looked at um, inappropriate shame or misplaced shame. Um, now we want to start looking at how God moves toward us. And really, as you listen to this, my, my main goal is just to encourage you. I simply want to show you the heart that God has for his own. So we're going to look at a few Old Testament passages, and we're going to see that God is helping his children to understand him. Um, and I think if you're a parent, you can kind of uh, um, get this, that, that you don't you don't give all of the information to your children when they are still young. There's, there are things that you teach them about slowly. You unfold the truth to them as they are able to handle it and as they are able to grasp it. And that's sort of the way God deals with us when it comes to our shame. Um, he intends for us to um, have the truth unfolded before us. Um, he, he gives us what we are um, ready for. And so he, he um, sort of as we grow up in him, he unfolds more and more of his truth to us. And so as we look at the Old Testament, we see this is what God is doing with his people. Um, he's unfolding the truth um, a little bit at a time. And so the, these Old Testament passages, um, they all point us forward to what Jesus Christ will fully and finally accomplish for us on the cross. Um, and so what we have today is we have three of God's plans for his people. That's what we're calling this. Three of God's plans for his people. Um, and each of these plans show us um, God's heart for us and God's movement towards us and God's intention to take away our shame. And so let's look at each of these plans. Um, number one, first plan is God's plan to clothe us in honor. In, in Exodus 28, um, we have we have the the plan for the um, for Aaron um, and his sons um, and and their holy garments. Exodus 28, one says, "Then bring near to you Aaron your brother and his sons with him from among the people of Israel to serve me as priests. 
Aaron and Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, Eleazar and Ithamar. And you shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, for glory and for beauty. God intends for, for Moses to have um, clothes made for Aaron um, that will be for his glory and for his beauty. God says, you shall speak to all the skillful whom I have filled with the spirit of skill that they, make, they, that they may make Aaron's garments to consecrate him for my priesthood. These are the garments that they shall make, a breastpiece, an ephod, a robe, a coat of checker work, a turban, and a sash. They shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, and his sons to serve me as priests. They shall receive gold, blue, and purple, and scarlet yarns, and fine twined linen. And they shall make the ephod of gold, of blue, and purple, and scarlet yarns, and fine twined linen skillfully worked. It shall have two shoulder pieces attached to its edges, um, so that it may be joined together, and the skillfully woven band on it shall be made like um, shall be made like it, and be of one piece with it of gold, blue, and purple, and scarlet yarns, and fine twined linen. You shall take two onyx stones and engrave of on them the names of the sons of Israel, six of their names on the one stone, and the names of the remaining six on the other stone, in the order of their birth. All right, so. Shame, shame causes us to be naked and humiliated and exposed. We've seen this from the very beginning, um, in the very beginning of the of the story of the Bible. Um, this is the problem after after the sin of Adam and Eve, they are naked and ashamed before Him. And so, what does God do in the next book of the Bible, in Exodus? He gives His priests beautiful clothes. These clothes are for their glory and for their beauty. These clothes associate them directly to their king, who at this time, there was no king really in Israel, uh, no human king. At this time, it was the king of heaven and earth. The priests represent the people when they wore these clothes. So so the, these clothes pointed forward to the royal priesthood of all believers in the New Testament. If, if you are in Christ, then you can know for certain, no matter what sins you've done, um, even the ones that only you know about, no matter what sins have been done against you that only you know about, no matter how naked and humiliated you feel, if you are in Christ, God's plan since before the book of Exodus was to clothe you with glory and beauty, to clothe you with robes that say, he belongs to me, she belongs to me. And we see this in the, in the intricate detail in the intentionality that God has in designing these clothes for his priests in the Old Testament and, and, for, and for writing the names of the tribes on each of these onyx stones, on the, on the priests' royal clothing, what we see as, the, as what, the, what, the, what the children of Israel were, were meant to see is not only how beautiful um, the the priests were in their garments, um, but but how beautiful they were because they were associated with these priests. They, they they were meant to see God's intention to clothe them with glory and honor and beauty. This this intention comes to its fruition, of course, with Jesus Christ. If we are in Christ, then we are a royal priesthood. We have been clothed with 
with beauty and glory. So that's God's first plan. We see it in the, in the Old Testament. The second plan is, is God's plan to touch us and make us clean. Isaiah 6, Isaiah 6, the very beginning of the chapter says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew, and one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundation of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. So, so this is who God is. He is holy, which means he is completely different than anyone else. He is completely other than us. We are, we are always assuming that God is going to respond the way a human would respond, but he is holy. He is other. He is different. I mean, I have a hard time with believing that Isaiah was a worse sinner than I am. I have a hard time believing that. But when he stood before God, he was overcome with his own uncleanness. When he saw, when he got this glimpse of the holiness of God, his, the, the, the only reaction, the only possible reaction from Isaiah is, Woe is me, for my eyes have seen the Lord of hosts. He's, he's essentially, when he says, Woe is me, he is essentially pronouncing a curse upon himself. This is the depths of the voice of shame. He says, I deserve to die. I do not deserve to live. I should not be here. I am a fraud. I am worthless. Kill me now. When Isaiah sees the holiness of God, he is overcome with his own uncleanness. And when he says, woe is me, that is, the, that is the same as him saying, just kill me now. He's pronouncing a curse upon himself. But instead of killing Isaiah, the Lord cleans him. The Lord cleanses him. The Lord does it. Isaiah doesn't ask the Lord to clean him. The, the, I, Isaiah doesn't say, I am, I am guilty. I am unclean. Please clean me. No, the, the, the Isaiah just melts into a puddle and says, and says he pronounces a curse upon himself. But God takes the initiative. God gets it done. Isaiah is overcome with shame because of his own sin, and also he says, because I dwell in the land of, uh, among among people of unclean lips, I am guilty. I am shameful. My people are shameful. Just kill me now. But instead, the Lord takes the initiative. The Lord gets it done. This is who the Lord is. He is completely pure. So much so that if even we got a glimpse of how pure he is, we would feel lost and undone. We would feel naked and humiliated. But the Lord doesn't respond to the people, 
to his people the way we respond to people who don't measure up to our standards. All humans can do is point out uncleanness, and we can't even do that objectively or accurately. The Lord can do it objectively and accurately, and he can do far more than make us aware of our uncleanness. He makes us clean through his touch. He can make us clean through his touch. He, in this passage, he mediates his touch through an angel and tongs and burning coal. But his plan all along would be to send his son, God himself, who would not be ashamed to touch us and who would make us thoroughly clean. So that's the second of God's plans we see in the Old Testament. Here's the final one. The last of God's plans is God's plans to call us his own. God's plan to call us his own. Isaiah 54 says, Sing, O barren one. Sing, O barren one, who did not bear. Bring forth into singing and cry aloud, you who have not been in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than the children of her who is married, says the Lord. Enlarge the place of your tent and let the curtains of your habitations be stretched out. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes. For you will spread abroad to the right and to the left. And your offspring will possess the nations and will people the desolate cities. Fear not. For you will not be ashamed. Be not confounded, for you will not be disgraced. For you will forget the shame of your youth and the reproach of your widowhood you will remember, remember no more. For, the, for your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name and the Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. The God of the whole earth he is called. So in the Old Testament, there wasn't anything as publicly shameful as barrenness. God is speaking to the barren here, and there is no one more publicly shamed than the, than the barren, those who are not able to have children. When people saw that you couldn't, see pre- couldn't get pregnant, when people saw that, they, they automatically assumed that there was something morally wrong with you. It was a stigma that you were unable to shake. It would follow you for the rest of your days. This is such a powerful picture of the abiding shame that so many people live with. And what is the Lord's answer in this passage? His answer is simple. It's clear. It's straightforward. Your maker is your husband. Here is how you will forget your shame. Here is how you will, here is how you will turn away from your shame. Here is how you will be released from your shame. It's because your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. This is honor by association. We all know shame by association. Shame because who we're, who we're associated with, or perhaps maybe shame because we have no associations. No one cares about us. There is, not a, there is not a more powerful statement that God can make. There is not a more powerful poetic picture of the love of God for us. There is not a stronger image of association than the words, Your maker is your husband. You are mine, God says. You belong to me. I am publicly, officially calling you my own. This is God's intention for his people all along, to put away their shame, to have them forget their shame. 
and to be their husband. To be publicly associated with them. To have them be his people and he will be their God. So these are the plans of God. These are the ways that God shows his heart for us. The ways God moves toward us. And we're going to see all of these find their fulfillment in Jesus Christ. And that's what we'll look at in our next lesson. Next week, we're going to take a look at how Jesus takes away our shame. Until then, thanks for listening. Thank you.